We have been in a series called Values of the Cross, and today we're going to continue that looking at the fifth value as we have on our website called Intentional Evangelism. Everybody, plenty warm right now. Today I had to turn on the heater. Next week, looks like we'll have to have the AC back on. Changeable weathers. Climate change is definitely here in Kansas. It's warm one day, cold the next, and in fact, uh, it's going to change pretty much every day. Yeah? So I'm not sure about all the other climate change, but I did tell somebody not too long ago that we've had climate change for thousands of years. If you if you believe what they say, and we had this great ice age, I'm glad that it changed. I'm glad we're not living in the middle of an ice age. So climate change is, can be a positive thing, and uh, fall and spring are my favorite seasons because it's not too hot, not too cold, little Goldilocks, it's just right. Today though, we're going to jump into intentional evangelism. I'm going to read today from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, going to read a, a number of verses here and then we will walk through those together. Once again, if you have the app, the church app, you can follow along. There are some fill in the blanks on there. There are places for you to make your own notes. Or you can just pay rapt attention to everything I say, and then you'll have it all and won't need the notes today. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 11, this New American Standard says this, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not, again, commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. Let me just pause right here because I'm not going to walk through all of this together with you. But Paul, of course, writing to the church in Corinth, in in verse 12 he says, and I'm going to look at 11 in a few minutes, but verse 12 he says, we're not commending ourselves. In other words, we're not saying that we're something great. He says, but we are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance. In other words, he says, for those people who don't understand that it's the hidden man of the heart, they don't understand that God is at work in the heart. They take pride in their appearance or in being or looking uh, like something that they're not. He says, we want you to take pride in us. Verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves... It is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they might live, that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. 
we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then lastly, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I'm going to preach to you for just a little bit on intentional evangelism. Intentional evangelism. Has there anybody besides me ever intended to eat healthy? So I'm going to guess that most of you probably have done that, even if you don't want to raise your hand. Uh, Anybody ever intended to lose weight? Every Monday I intend to lose weight. In fact, most meals I intend to eat healthy until I get there, and it's like I can have this healthy thing that's not quite so good, or I can have this really tasty, unhealthy, fat and greasy 3,000-calorie meal, and it's like, man, what kind of choice is that between eating something that tastes like cardboard or eating something that that tastes really good? And so I, I intend to do a lot of things. I intend to get in shape. Actually, I'm in shape. It's just the wrong shape. And so uh, I, I intend to do certain things that I never get around to do, but I plan to do them. I, I think about doing them, but oftentimes I fail to do them. Here's, I read a story just yesterday. It's from June 13, 1889. A Spokane, Washington newspaper printed an editorial pleading, pleading for the establishment of a fire department. Seattle had recently been ravaged, ravaged by fire, and the paper desired to present the same calamity from happening in Spokane. Nothing, however, was done. Two months later, Spokane burned to the ground. That there was an intention, there was an idea, there was a plan maybe to actually do something. And let's have a fire department so that when the fire comes, if it happens, we're ready and prepared for it. And intentions are sometimes, most of the time they're good, but the failure to do them is always bad. It always has wrong and awful consequences. In fact, people have said the road to hell is paved with good intentions. That you can intend to serve God. You can intend to do a variety of different things. You can intend to be the person that God calls you to be. And if it's only an intention, then it never gets done. It's just a plan. It's just an idea. It is something that unless you actually act on it, it is not going to produce anything positive. To have an intention of of doing good or an intention to going to work doesn't get you a paycheck. You actually have to go to work. Having a plan to get up in the morning and, and, and whenever your clock goes off and not hit the snooze button. If you do that, if it's just a plan, if it's just an idea, but you don't act on it, guess what? You're late for school or you're late for work or late for whatever. It's real easy every night to get up the next morning. But when morning comes, it's much more difficult. So to intend or have an intention is planning, and that's, that's not bad. But to be intentional is something else. It is actually to be deliberate and to be purposeful. That I can intend to evangelize. I can intend to share the gospel with people. That's different than being intentional about doing it. Intentional, it is an adjective. It is to do something on purpose or with deliberation. 
And that's what I'm calling us to do today is not to have a plan, not to have an idea, but to be intentional in the way in which we reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, this little card, it's, it's not going to force you to do anything. You can have an intention of praying for somebody for 30 straight days and, and praying the scripture and praying that God would save them and praying for their, God's favor and blessing and his love to be known to them. But unless you actually do it, it's just a plan. So we have to be intentional about what we're going to do. The text that I read to you today, it is a, a passage that speaks significantly to evangelism. It's not all that it speaks to, but it is significant in a number of ways about our, our purpose and our plan and our uh, calling to evangelize the lost. In fact, I'm going to give you from this text, I'm going to give you six different ways and reasons in which we should evangelize the lost from this passage. It's not three. Three is much easier to remember. I do a lot of things in threes. This is six, so if you have the app, maybe you want to follow along in that. But the first is found in verse 11 of this chapter. The, the verse says this, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. We persuade them because of the fear of the Lord. Paul, just above this, has talked about the idea that, that judgment is coming, that there is going to be judgment that is going to take place. He's, he's, he's laid out the idea that there is going to be a resurrection. There's going to be a, a judgment that comes. And, and he's further talked about the fact that the church is being persecuted for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has said that to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. And what that means is when you die, that you are now present with God. You're not in your body. Your spirit go and soul go to heaven, and you're, you're, spent, you're in eternity with Jesus Christ. You're with God. You're absent from your body. It's still in the ground. It will be joined together together again at the rapture, at the second coming of Jesus. That's going to take place. But in that interim stage, you're not sleeping. You're not just in some... Uh, holding pattern you're not in purgatory you're not you are present with the lord when you're absent from the body and he says people are dying and there's persecution and all of these things are going on and he says but at the end of all of that everyone will stand at the judgment seat of christ that everybody is going to stand before a holy and a just god and he says therefore knowing the fear of the lord we persuade men now most people would tell you and 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 i don't know that this is this is wrong it can have a couple of different meanings and maybe some variation here many people in last week i believe i used the fear of the lord and it was about reverence or awe that it was about the fact that we are in awe of god or we're under god and we're serving him and that's true in one sense here the new king james says knowing the terror of god we persuade men. That speaks a little more than just reverence or awe. And, and if you take the context of God's judgment that is coming and that people are going to stand before God, 
I think it's a little more than just reverence or awe. We should evangelize because we serve God. We should evangelize and tell people about Jesus because we want to be in submission to the God of the universe because we love him. We, we're in awe of him. That is true. And we should do it just because he has commanded us. But I, I think there's more here than, than just that, and that is that this terror, this idea that God's judgment is coming, and knowing that everybody you and I know will stand before God in judgment. The judgment is coming on those who do not know Jesus Christ. Judgment is coming on the unsaved, and because of that, we love God and we want to reach out to them. We fear God and we fear for their eternal destiny. I, I was raised in, of course, in church all of my life, and uh, I'm 48 years old, and so it's almost half a century. I was going to say that's not that long ago, but it's, it's, maybe that is a long time ago. And I, I remember growing up hearing people preach about hell hearing people preach about judgment that was coming and seeing people flock to the altar and give their lives to Jesus Christ and, and be filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. I, I saw that over and over growing up. It was a fairly large church in Louisiana, but seeing that, you don't hear much about that anymore. You don't, you don't hear people on the radio preaching that hell's coming that there is a hell that people are going to go to if they're not in relationship with him. As some would say, hell's hot and forever's a long time, and you don't want to go. You don't hear people preach about hell. I remember one preacher, very, very powerful preacher, and we would have these revivals sometimes six, eight, ten weeks, every night of the week growing up. It's, it's a whole different church culture than now, but he would say this many times at the end of his message, Goodbye, backslider. So long, sinner friend. Preaching about the judgment of God that's coming, and if you're not ready, guess what? You're not going to be standing in before Jesus and be happy with what comes. And that's what Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. There is a judgment coming on those who do not know Jesus Christ. And that should be a somber reality. That should make us go, anything we can do to keep them from going to hell, we should be doing it. God is a righteous and a holy God. And, and as much as he loves people, there will come a day when he cuts them off if they refuse to come to him, if they refuse to follow him, that they will be cut off. And the fear of the Lord will be experienced by them. The second thing here, it's kind of the flip side of, of what I just said, but verse 14 says, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we're controlled by God's love, we are people who evangelize and people who reach the lost. That we are, Paul says, we are passionate for God. I've mentioned this before about being oversaved. I don't know that you can be oversaved, and it's funny when, when Michael Jr., the comedian, talks about it, and I've seen it, but when you're passionate for God, that everything becomes about Jesus Christ. Everything becomes about the mission of Jesus Christ. And Paul said, he said this, he said, if we are acting crazy, 
Verse 13, if we are beside ourselves, it's because of God. Because we're passionate about him and we're going to do all kind of crazy things because we're, we're serving him and following him. And, and, and crazy is probably an overstatement, but he says if we look like we're crazy, if we're beside ourselves, he said it's because of God. But he says now if we're of sound mind, and what he means by sound mind is if, we're, if, if our thinking is healthy, if we look like we're normal, he said we're doing that for you that we're controlling ourselves so that you can be receptive, you can hear the message of Jesus Christ. When we're acting all crazy, you may not be as open and receptive. That's, what, that's how we worship God. We, we're, we do things that ever, nobody else does, but we want to be able to communicate with you, so we kind of control that a little bit. And if we're of sound mind, it's because of you. That God is enabling us to control this passion and this, this desire so that you can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, are, we have received the result of God's love through the death of Christ, he goes on to say. That God's love was manifest in us. It was revealed in us because of, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have received the result of his love, which is salvation. And we want you to receive it as well. That we are controlled by his love for you. We're controlled for his love for the lost. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Paul said, of whom I am chief. And he says, I was the chief of sinners, but he gives his life to reaching other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do that because we have received God's love and we are controlled by it. The third way in which we can be intentional or because the reason that we should be intentional is this, verse 15 is because we live for an audience of one. We live for an audience of one. And he died for all. So that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Most people that you meet, they live for themselves. That they live in a, a selfish manner, it's part of the fall, it's what we do, that we look out for ourselves, we do what's best for ourselves. And while I, w- I would tell you that that's wrong and that's not right, it is indicative of the human condition. If you were to look at your neighbor and tell him you're selfish, Most of the time, you're going to be right on because almost everybody's like that. If you really wanted to look at your neighbor and tell them that, don't do it. Don't tell them they're selfish. They probably already know that. But we we want to live for ourselves. We do what's good for us at the moment. That's just the way we are as humans. And there are a few people, relatively few, that live for others that they give their lives to help others. They give themselves to help others. And while that's good and while that's commendable, at the end of the day, a lot of those people live for others in a way in which they're really living for themselves so that they can get accolades of men, that they can get the praise of men, so that they can get the rewards of men, that they do for others so that they themselves will be recipients of something good. 
But what Paul says here is we do not live for anybody except for Jesus Christ. That we live for an audience of one. That he is the only one that we should care about. He's the only one that we should seek to please. And he's the only one that we should seek to do anything where he's looking at what we're doing and he's happy. It doesn't matter who else is unhappy. And if he's happy, unhappy, it doesn't matter who's happy about what we're doing. We are to live for an audience of one. We don't live to please our teacher. We don't live to to please our neighbor. We live to please Jesus Christ. We don't live to please our employer. We live to please Jesus Christ. And in most cases, when we're pleasing him, people will be happy about it. But there may come times where you're living for Jesus Christ and people are unhappy with that. I've heard testimonies over and over of people who were into alcohol and drugs and they were, they were addicts and they're stealing from their family, stealing from all kinds of different places. And then they encounter Jesus Christ and they get saved. And they become passionate about Jesus, on fire for Jesus. And instead of stealing from their family, they're saying, you need to know Jesus you need, to, you need to experience what I've experienced. And their families would rather them go back to being addicts. They're not happy with this transformation. They're not happy that they know Jesus Christ. So there are times where that's going to be the case, but for the most part, when you're living for Him, people are going to be happy because you're demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ. You're, you're doing what is best for others because that's what He would have you do. But you're not doing it so people will pat you on the back. You're living for an audience of one. We don't live for ourselves. We live for Him. And I've said it before, but that means that His mission should be our mission. That His purpose should be our purpose. That His plan should be our plan. That if we're living for Him, then we do what it is He has called us to do. And He has unquestionably called us to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fourthly, we evangelize because we have received the ministry of reconciliation. We are, Paul says, reconciled to God, verse 18 and 19. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Reconciliation would be reconciled three times in these, these two verses, if not more. He says, but we are reconciled to God, that God has brought us into relationship with him. He has reconciled us. We who were lost and undone, we were sinners apart from God, on our way to hell, and Jesus Christ came into our lives and brought us into relationship with him and reconciled us to himself. Because this is about, about evangelism, let me tell you, it's a simple evangelism tool. This wasn't in my notes, but it's called the three circles. And this method of, of sharing the gospel with somebody is, is pretty, it's pretty simple. The first circle is about the Garden of Eden and how God created everything and everything's perfect. But then, sin entered into the garden in the form of the serpent and and Eve listens and gives in to the serpent and Eve 
takes of the fruit and then she gives to Adam and he eats of the fruit. And as a result of that, God curses the ground and he, he sends curse on the, the serpent and he sends curses on the woman and on the man. And all of these things are now broken. That, that the perfect creation that God had is now broken. That relationship and fellowship with, with God is broken because of man's sin and disobedience. So that's the second circle. The first circle is this perfect state of what God has in the garden and and man is in relationship with God and everything is good and then sin comes and now everything is broken. And ultimately what, what Jesus has come to do is to take us in our brokenness and get us back into that relationship with God. And through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, And when we come and we follow and commit to the gospel, then we now can be brought into that relationship with Jesus Christ. And and from perfection to brokenness, back over here to a state of living in relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he wants. That's what it means to be reconciled with God. It's that we didn't have a relationship. We were at odds with him. We were, Paul said this, we were at enmity with God. In case you weren't sure, enmity means we got this, this anger problem going on with God. We've got this antagonism with God. That's what we're like. And God breaks that down and brings us and reconciles us to himself. So we are reconciled to God. And Paul says we have received the ministry of reconciliation. That means that our service to God is to reconcile people to him. That everywhere we go and everybody we meet, we're to tell them about Jesus Christ so that they too can experience the, the reconciliation with God. That they too can experience having a, a fellowship and a relationship with God. That's the ministry that we've been, we've been given. Every believer has been given that same ministry. You may not can sing. Like me, you may not can play, you may not can preach, you may have a fear of getting up in front of people. There may be a lot of things that you can't do in a church. But everybody has received the ministry of reconciliation. That if you are in relationship with God, if he has brought you into relationship, then you're called to the ministry of reconciliation where you get people back into relationship with God. And he goes one step further and he says, we have received the word of reconciliation. The word of reconciliation is the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to know Greek. You don't have to know Hebrew. You don't have to know anything but that Jesus Christ came lived a perfect, sinless life. He was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day so that you and I could have eternal life. That's the word of reconciliation. It's that simple. And the only caveat to that is that people don't need to just know that. They have to live it and follow it. It's not just a truth to know. It is a truth to obey. And so you have to follow that and you have to obey that. But Paul says we have received the word of reconciliation. Fifthly, we are ambassadors for Christ, and that's why we should be intentional in our evangelism. Verse 20 says, therefore, we are ambassadors 
for Christ. And he goes on, it says, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. An ambassador, you hear about ambassadors all the time. If if you've been through civic government, you know that an ambassador is a representative from another nation that comes, and they are there to represent the leader of their nation and their nation itself in whatever policy or whatever discussion is going on. And so they don't speak for themselves. They don't say, well, this is what I want. No, it's like this is what the country wants or this is what the president wants or this is what the king wants or the queen or whoever it happens to be. This is what the dictator wants. That if they're an ambassador, they are not speaking for themselves. They speak for the one who has sent them. And Paul says we are ambassadors for Christ. We are the representatives of Christ in this world. That people should see us, and they're not seeing us, but they should see the one who sent us. That they should see Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he says God is appealing through us to people. He said that is the way it is being done. It is as though God is appealing to you. Through us. We've talked about this before, but but God doesn't come and preach the gospel. God doesn't show up in human form and tell people about the gospel. He doesn't write it on the wall. Now we do. We might write it on the wall, but God doesn't write it on the wall. That only happened one time in the book of Daniel. He doesn't just, you don't just show up and it's like written out in the sand and like, man, God has given me a message. Oh, God doesn't do that. God uses people. He doesn't use angels. He doesn't use any other, he doesn't use animals. He only uses people to preach the gospel. And so we are his ambassadors. We are making an appeal. And Paul further states it this way, we beg you. That we are to be adamant in our appeal to the lost. If I could be honest with you, I I struggle at times with letting go. And and what I mean by that is that if I I ever make a connection with somebody and, and I get into a gospel conversation with them when I'm talking about the gospel, that I I don't want to, if, if they reject it, and for the most part, I don't know that I've had very many just say, no, I don't believe that. Most of the time, people are like, yeah, I, yeah, I think that's, that's what the Bible says. And they have this quasi, yeah, that's, but, but maybe not right now, or maybe not me, or that's good for you, or whatever it happens to be. And when they're, they're not ready to take the next step, I have difficulty going, okay, I'm just going to walk away. I have difficulty doing what Jesus told the 12 and the 70, when he sent them out two by two, and he says, if they don't receive you in the house, just shake the dust off your feet and you go to the next place. I have difficulty going, you know what, I don't have, I got, there's more people that need to hear the gospel, and I'm just going to leave you over here because you don't want to know. I have a long list from since I've been in Olathe, and then I still go back to these people, and I still connect with them and trying to to get them and and maybe I would be better served just to ignore them now and go they know it and if they don't want it that's that's on them and go and spend my time other places and with other people 
But maybe it's what Paul says. He says, we beg you. It's not just, hey, if you want it, great. If you don't want it, great. No, we beg you, be reconciled to God. That there should be a passion, there should be a zeal, there should be something that's burning inside of us. To say, we're, God's not going to do it if I don't tell you. We are ambassadors for Christ, and He is appealing to you through me. And I beg you, be reconciled to God. Lastly, the sixth reason that we should evangelize the lost in this passage is because we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Verse 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus who was sinless, Jesus who was perfect, Jesus who never did anything wrong, Jesus who at the age of 12 was about his father's business. Jesus, who at the age of 12 stayed behind, and he wasn't wrong. He didn't disobey his parents, I guess. He just stayed behind. And when he was found in the temple debating with the teachers of the law, and they were astounded at his teaching at the age of 12, he said to his parents, I must be about my father's business. Jesus, who was the sinless lamb of God, became... Not sin, as it says here, in the sense that he became a sinner, but he became the sacrifice for sin. He became sin's sacrifice. That he took upon himself all of our sin, all of the sin of mankind was taken upon Jesus Christ on the cross. And he died for the sin of the whole world. But the world can only accept that righteousness that he gets when they come into relationship with him. And it says that we became the righteousness of God in him. That the sinless lamb of God who was perfect, who lived a holy, righteous life, his righteousness is imputed to us. Because we have become his righteousness. Now we should evangelize, we should reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of what God has done in us, because we know the fear of the Lord, we're controlled by His love, we live for an audience of one. We have received the ministry of reconciliation, we are ambassadors for Christ, and we are the righteousness of God. Six reasons that you and I should evangelize the lost. As Anthony comes to the music, I read a a story. This was in Canton, Ohio. You may know Canton. It's where the NFL Hall of Fame is located. This is a, a Canton man named... I can't see his name here in my notes. Noah Yoder, Norman Yoder. He received a, a, an award, a commendation from the city and from the fire department. It's called the Good Samaritan Award. On July 15th, the story is that 
At around 8 o'clock in the morning, six adults were trapped inside a home in the 900 block of Smith Avenue. Four of those adults were sleeping on the second floor when the fire broke out. And Norman Yoder driving by and he had a ladder on his truck. He sees the flames and he stops and gets his ladder and rescues the four adults on the second floor and firefighters later would uh, would rescue the two that were asleep in the basement. He's just driving by and he sees a fire and he's I got to do something. I got to save these people. I got to do whatever I can. I don't know how else to say it, but there is a fire coming. Jude, verse 23, Jude writes, But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. What he says is, there's a fire coming. There is a hell that people are going to go to. And he said, if you can't save them any other way, he said, save them with fear. Pulling them out of the fire. That's what you and I have been called to do. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. It's not a task that we can be haphazard about. It's not a task that we can just, when we feel like it, share the gospel. It's not a a task that if, well, if it comes up, then we should tell them about Jesus. We should intentionally live for Jesus Christ and share the gospel at every opportunity. Just stand together. And I know I, I say at every opportunity, and and most people what they feel whenever you say it ever ever. You know, when an opportunity presents itself, what they really mean by that is if somebody asked them or if they just happen to get into a conversation about Jesus. And what I would tell you, it's more than that. The opportunities are all around us. And and my, my call to action today is this, is to seek opportunities. Don't wait for them to come to you. You seek them. Look for opportunities to share the gospel. Secondly, I would ask you to commit to this concept of who's your one. Let God direct your your heart and mind for one person that's in close proximity to where you live or work. 
or where you go to school. Because you can pray for people across the country, across the world, that's great, but it's pretty hard to have significant interaction with them. It's pretty hard to serve them if they're not nearby, and it's really hard to invite them to the next right thing. It's pretty hard to invite them if they live states away to be, hey, come to our church on Sunday or to our event or this. Not because they just, we just want people to come, because we want to connect people with Jesus Christ. That's why we're here, is to connect people to Jesus Christ. And lastly, I would ask you, as we roll this out, to participate in Pray and Go, which is what we're calling it. Whether you're part of the administration of that or whether you're one of the walking the walkers who are going door to door, you're not knocking on doors, you're just praying and putting a door hanger. However you participate, commit to doing that, not for me, not for you, but for the audience of one. Would you bow your heads as we pray? Lord, I pray right now that your spirit, your power would work in us. God, you have unquestionably called us to evangelize the lost. You have given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are your ambassadors. You have made us the righteousness of God in Christ. Lord, we know that judgment is coming. We know that people are lost and they need salvation. Lord, we we are controlled by your love. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have a burning passion and desire to reach others with the gospel so that they do not experience your judgment, but they experience only your reward, that they experience an eternity with you, that they don't experience the tragedy that would be for them to never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to spend an eternity apart from you. Lord, I pray that you would work in us to be those people. And as we get ready to sing a song, would you just keep your eyes closed and would you meditate and ask God to speak to your heart about who he would like you to begin to focus on. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, and nothing else matters. Nothing this world will do but Jesus you're the center and everything revolves around you Jesus you and Jesus be the center of my life Jesus be the center of my life from beginning to the end it will always be it's always been you Jesus
Jesus and nothing else matters and nothing in this world will do Jesus you're the center and everything revolves around you Jesus us that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess you as Lord. The only question, Lord, is will they do that before the judgment seat of Christ? Will they do that before judgment comes? Lord, I pray that you would help us to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ so that in this life, their knee will bow, their tongue will confess that you and you alone are Lord, that you and you alone are the only way of salvation, that you are the God of the universe, you are the Lord of lords, the King of kings. Lord, because if they don't do it in this life, they have to do it in eternity. Lord, it's only because they are experiencing your judgment that they will have to acknowledge that you indeed are Lord and that their knee will bow to you. Help us to reach multitudes of people 
in our city, in our circles, in our neighborhoods, in our families. Lord, help us to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Lord, help us to do that one at a time. That the task is not too great, Lord, when we pick one person that needs to know you and that we're going to focus on and pray that you would be at work in them, that you would bring them into salvation. Lord, that we would demonstrate your love every week. Lord, do it one person at a time, but let multitudes be brought into your kingdom through what we do. We thank you for it, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. If you would, before you leave today, grab one of these cards. The tear, the small tear-off piece, you can just put the name of the person that you're praying with. Drop that in one of the buckets. And so we know and we can just have that on our church list as well. And then write their name at the top of the bookmark so you can pray for them every day. And if you're unsure how to pray for them, once again, in the app or on the website, Who's Your One? You can find a PDF prayer guide along with another PDF that will give you practical ways that you can share the gospel with people. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here. Pens are at the back table here. If you don't have one of your own, thank you for being here. Greet one another, socially distance, of course. Say hi, tell them how good it is to see them, how good looking they are today. God bless you. We'll see you hopefully on Thursday night, Foundation 101.